Welcome to On The Couch with James Field and Ian Harris. It's episode 87 for the 8th of August 2008. Hey James. Hi Ian, how's it going? I'm doing splendidly well and we're up to couch 87. Whoa, here we are on the couch and we're going to be hitting that audience with this amazing feature list of business news, technology news, content delivery news, maybe if we've got any, uh, mobile news about the mobile market, gaming and other bits and pieces about things we've bought or broken recently. <laughs> in, in your case, mostly broken, but that's cool. Well, <laughs> in your case, mostly bought. <laughs> So, uh, Good stuff. Excellent. So let's dive straight into the business end. Mm-hmm. Um, a story we talked about some time ago mm. was uh, Cablevision, who's uh, the number one cable operator, or they're pretty big in New York anyway, yeah. had done, I, would put, I think they put into practice a network DVR where you're, res- you're reserved a number of gigabytes on a server and you can pause live TV and it's cached for you or cached, as you might say. Mm-hmm. And there was the first thing that happened was the cease and desist from the content owners. So you don't have the rights for this because yep. it's a different scenario to doing it in your home with your own disc. So I think they went to appeal and they just got the okay, didn't they? Yeah. So this is the big change. Previous to this ruling, uh, they had um, been told they're not allowed to. They actually had to stop the rollout of their network PBR. Right. Uh, because the content owners had convinced a court that uh, whilst they were still recording content somewhere, it was it was more like a server and more like a um, a VOD service than it was in fact like a, a PVR service at right. home. Right. And now that it's gone to appeal, the court's gone. Well, you know, we really don't see the distinction between having the hard disk in the customer's home and having the hard disk in a central place. Yeah. Uh, so they've basically been given the green light, which is which is exciting from a technology perspective because. Uh, a lot of broadcasters were looking at Cablevision as a, as a sort of a test case right. and saying, well, you know, if, if it's not legal for Cablevision, then obviously we're going to have issues as well. We don't want to uh, mess with our content uh, owners, content suppliers. Uh, but now that Cablevision's has pushed it to the point where uh, the appeals court has said, yeah, okay, fair enough, That's, that is a, uh, it's, it's a technical distinction, but not actually, uh, you know, it's not a, mm. uh, you're not providing a different service by actually, by doing this. So the, the ruling, I think, looking at this, it's in the show notes, I guess, but it says, so long as the device is simply responding to a customer-initiated request, it doesn't appear mm-hmm. to matter where it's located, whether it's local or remote. But there yep. was some contentious stuff about the, you know, the one, they have a 1.2 second buffer of content. Does that count as a copy? That was mm. one other area as well. Clearly, the lawyers went to town on this. Um, <laughs> yes, clearly they, they got all the technicians they, in the room yeah. and asked them all sorts of tricky questions. And the lawyers won, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's right. I mean, that's. It, I don't know. I think. I think they're getting a bit pedantic here because if you look at um, satellite propagation times, then you know there's there's about half a second of satellite propagation is there time. A copy in the ether. There is. Mm-hmm. There is effectively a copy in the middle of the air, if you like, on the way up and the way down mm-hmm. uh, for about 250 milliseconds uh, each way. So does that mean is that a copy? Uh, I mean, it's just getting a bit bit ridiculous. So. I'm actually pleased that they've they've made this sort of uh, decision because it does open up a lot of possibilities from a you know, from a technology perspective to mm. provide not new services but uh, an alternative way of providing the same service instead of having to have a 
a hard disk that breaks. And, you know, I've had two... I'm on my third Sky Plus DVR. What are you doing to it? <laughs> Just recording stuff. And, uh, you know, both of the previous ones have gone bang. But you've got yeah. your system set up. I mean, it's stuck in a little cabinet. It's not exactly as it says in the manual, you know, leave space around your box. But then that's the typical kind of home use, I guess. It's it is just pretty, shoved pretty yours typical. as a set under box, isn't it, in fact? Yeah. So yeah. If, if, the, my, if my content provider, my mm-hmm. content aggregator can store that stuff for me in a central place that's managed, that's, uh, you know, in a cool room, it's yeah, uh, yeah. got RAID disks and all this sort of stuff on it, then uh, all the better for me because it's never going to break and uh, I'm pr- presumably going to get a reli- more reliable and yet cheaper service. Well, so, you hope so. I guess, I mean, the downside there is obviously they need to have a reliable two-way network, which works, mm-hmm. I guess, in metropolitan New York yep. um, with high subscriber densities but maybe isn't so suited to... Well, a lot of other cable systems where they don't actually have that strong um, return path infrastructure. So. Exactly. So, mm. uh, I mean, the, the the possibilities here do open up for IP IPTV. Yeah. So instead of having a hard disk in, uh, like with your BT Vision box, having a hard disk in your house, you could have it in a central place. I guess it's going to be greener as well, isn't it? Because you'd, you'd think the central place it could be uh, you know it's not yeah, on you the whole time that more less certainly less power consumption because you're, you're sharing disk space aren't you so absolutely always a good thing we like that and obviously Cablevision's results were, were up as well so mm. not having the network DVR didn't affect them I suppose mm-hmm. I guess um, we'll see maybe I, I don't know what the user experience would it be identical for network PVR and local DVR well, it's certainly going to be a bit more mm. of a lag as you pause and fast forward and yeah. stop and so on. But uh, I think you're probably willing to live with that if you can get to the point of being close enough and just as reliable, you know, more reliable even than... Um, I mean, you can imagine all sorts of other scenarios opening up, opening up. Like, I'm limited to two tuners. And there's the number of times where I've been doing something, something's been recording and some other shows come on and mm. I've only just then just realised that something else is going to cancel. I think they might run into recording. problems if there's preemptive recording of all the channels. It has to be yeah, user initiated. So you, yeah, you exactly. couldn't, I mean, I guess you could say, look, actually, you can just rent additional tuners. You can say, actually, yeah. can I have one for each channel and I'll record all of them. <laughs> yeah, all the time. All the time. Yeah. Then you effectively have complete catch-up service available. But... I don't know how the lawyers would have go to town on that, wouldn't they? <laughs> they would. <clears throat> Any lawyers listening? Let us know. What's yeah, the implication of that? Send us to feedback at onthecouchpodcast.com. Mm. We'd love to hear from you. Um, I guess staying in North America on the news, we got, um, after last week's chat, where we were saying, you know, when, when times are bad, are people going to stick with pay TV or not? Mm. Mm. Um, kind of coincidentally, I suppose, uh, DirecTV added a net ad of 130,000 subs in the second quarter of the year, and they had the lowest second quarter monthly churn rate in four years that sounds like a statistical cooking job doesn't it <laughs> how many qualifiers can you get on that but anyway clearly um things are going well and um, yeah, and 1.49 percent is not is not actually all that great compared with some operators around the world but obviously it's very good for direct tv they've got a lot mm. of hard markets they're working well, in. and it's quite competitive as well whereas other markets yeah. around the world there isn't much in the way of competition so absolutely um, so it is a different different scenario as well but uh, I think that's that's uh, gives you some indication that people are looking at pay TV as an option to actually reduce costs within their kind of entertainment budget rather than mm. uh, taking the kids uh, down to the movies, going to Pizza Hut beforehand. They can do something at home, uh, watch a TV show, mm. and that's, you know, covered well, for certainly a know In my free. kind of circle of friends, people are still buying big TVs and stuff. There's no... It's like, we'll stay at home and watch TV. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you've got a big TV, you need some big content exactly. to put on it. So HD is a big thing. And I know that's one of the 
the HD wars they've got in the US. So maybe that that's kind of is it HD driving that growth? I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, in particular, industry-leading content, HD, DVR, and interactive services are driving strong top-line growth and higher operating margins and <laughs> cash flow growth. There we go. That's uh, the CEO there. Um, moving on, I suppose, Videotron, what's all this about? That sounds like a computer game to me. <laughs> Videotron are actually an operator in Canada. Uh, they're based in Quebec. And uh, they've had the uh, an interesting idea to increase their revenue by launching caller ID on TV, mm-hmm. so you can find out who's calling by watching your TV or while you're watching TV. But that assumes you spent hours putting your all the names in, or as I know, sometimes caller ID can actually push a name to the the TV as well. There is some sort of coding standards to do that, but yeah, you can. Oh, well, I mean, we don't do it in the UK, but I think in the US it does do that. Yeah, I think when I was in Hong Kong as well, they would actually, unless you actually sent a thing saying, you know, we're going to publish this name, which is the name you registered with us. Right. Unless you tell us otherwise. And you could mm. check a privacy box or something. Right. Um, Whereas in the UK, we just have numbers. Yeah, uh, I presume it's just numbers. Because I know, I think my BT Vision box does this as well, but you have to kind of laboriously key in some address book. Right. But, uh, you know, I've never been, well, as I really watch it, I've never been using it when someone's phoned me. So. <laughs> when someone's actually phoned you. Mm. Well, in uh, Videotron are providing the service for an extra $2 Canadian per month for the feature. Which is, uh, which, is the, uh, which is what, like one US dollar or something? I no, it's, it's actually at parity with the, with the US is dollar. It? Okay, it's so. slightly different. But. Mm. Um, and this, have you heard of this interesting, this Integra's i5 converged services platform? No. Never heard of that. So what's that? Is that that's is that what they're using to provide the caller ID service? Well, I don't know. It says Integra Five. Its platform has been set by more than thirty operators worldwide. I don't know if that's an interface to caller ID, and it's like a f- telephone interface, or whether it's a mini applet, or right. no idea. If anyone knows about Integra Five, do let us know because um, that would be interesting to mm. find out a little more about. I think. It does bring you back to the days when caller ID was first introduced in Australia, and you actually had to pay five dollars extra a month well, to be able to get caller ID. I think ID. in the UK you you have to pay for it unless I think I've signed up for some package, which is a privacy package, which right. is free, but you can see other people's ID and yours is blocked. Right. Okay. <laughs> which is bizarre. So, and I know you all sorts of schemes about block the blocker and all this kind of stuff could happen, but uh, well, we do know the caller ID is not exactly. Uh, unspoofable yeah, yeah exactly. I mean I know you can get spoof apps for I think there are even subscription services in, in the US on there so you can pretend mm. to be somebody else and uh, you can do that with a mobile phone so you can phone someone up and it will appear that you're phoning from the CEO's phone neat that could be handy so it's a good way of getting through to people but yeah, it's a sort of <laughs> subscription ah, yes. service CEO's calling better take yeah, this better one better take the one. Oh, hi it's not the CEO <laughs> what's going on <laughs> you know use of the tools at hand um, I might have to look into that a little further. Um, so moving on to uh, technology. technology news. Now this is a story you picked up about um, an Indian ten dollar laptop. Oh, I picked this one up, did I? All oh, right. I think you, did you? Or did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is getting. Well, you this don't. has been bouncing around um, this week because it said, "Oh, ten dollar laptop." Um, and a, that would be a cracker for $10. It's a cracker. Well, it, I, think it, I think it would have come in a cracker if it was a, <laughs> a $10 laptop. But apparently there was a, a mistake and it wasn't really actually $10. Um, right. In the same way, to some extent, that the one laptop charged from Nicholas Negroponte, the MIT Media Lab guy, uh, also was a target of $100, but was a bit more. Mm. Um, 
so what I I'd seen some stuff about this that it was actually based on a uh, NES a Nintendo Entertainment platform so it was okay. basically someone had rewritten some software or an OS for that and it wasn't $10 at all and they'd right. made a mistake <laughs> okay. <laughs> but well, it's a shame because you know if we if we're able to get ten dollar laptops out to everyone and get some internet connections going, then yeah. But uh, meanwhile, back on Earth, ten dollars. I mean, you can get a pocket <laughs> calculator, maybe, but <laughs> that's true. It's, Which, uh, in the eyes of some people, might appear to be a laptop, or maybe we'll do all like the Dilbert etcher sketch thing. Give everyone an etcher sketch, and they can, you know, <laughs> and they'll never know. Yeah, the reformat it. What do I do? Turn it upside down and shake it. That's <laughs> the. Uh, that'll work. Uh, um. So, I mean, good luck to them. I know there have been some, um, like there was a palm top put together in India, which was very inexpensive, mm-hmm. um, which was used in rural communities so they could find out the price of brood crops and things so they weren't ripped off right. by the, the middlemen coming in to buy it from yeah. them. Um, so that was quite useful. Uh, and I guess... Absolutely. And, and communication does open up a lot of opportunities mm. and, uh, you know, being able to distribute information uh, gives people that don't have the power a lot more power than they would have had in the past so that's a good thing mm, indeed i was reading actually today about some uh, maybe a sort of segueing into it's still technology i suppose is um mm-hmm. like a gsm base station for emergency crews where they can basically bring in a thing which only weighs it was like six kilos you can take it on as hand baggage right and it uses uh, it basically has a satellite link but also acts as a gsm uh, oh, right, so you can use your mobiles, but it talks over satellite. Yeah, That's and cool. it's battery-powered or can be locally powered. So literally, it's kind of like a um, an access point in a box with Wi-Fi as well. So you've got data and voice uh, with about a 300-meter oh, cool. radius, and you can just bring it in and you can use it and for disasters or whatever if you need to set up a, um, a GSM access point. So. Gee, that's great, isn't it? Quite cool. And it's in a six-kilogram uh, six package. is pretty small. So mm, that's good. amazing. Um, which segues nice onto uh, mobile Yeah, because content delivery is a little skinny this week. <laughs> That's right. No one's doing anything creative this week. Come on, guys. There must be doing? something. Maybe... Uh, no, I can't think of anything. Okay. No, um, right, no. <laughs> mobile. What's happening in mobile? Um, there's been quite a lot of talk about operating systems on mobile this week, mm. by and large. Well, we've got... Um, uh, well, uh, the, the article that we're, we're kind of discussing here is how... Uh, things are changing from having generally proprietary operating systems built by the uh, the mobile hardware manufacturer, mm-hmm. or owned and, by like Symbian, yeah, I guess, and uh, moving to uh, more generic platforms, right. and notably Linux. And the the kind of nomenclature they're using here is LIMO, is in Linux Mobile, which is different from the. Um Android thing, which are all similar. Yeah, now Android's the um, operating Google. system provided by Google, but I'm not. Sh- I presume it's based on Linux as well, but I'm not sure what the difference is between uh, you know the kind of Limo version and the Android version. Mm. But presumably they're looking at uh, providing more complex operating systems for smartphones, where you can add applications. Uh, do creative things with networks. Um, ha- you know, you obviously need more complex uh, network software mm-hmm. to handle things like Wi-Fi and so on. And there's a Limo Alliance, isn't it? That's the, um, and this article here says that there are 52 partners in Limo, 34 in Android, and 31 in Symbian. Right. Um, I didn't know there were that many manufacturers altogether. Well, but, um, I guess they're, I don't know, manufacturers or... I'm not that familiar with the ecosystem in the whole mobile environment, but I guess there's lots of... Uh, that's right. Well, I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, more... 
more competition, the better. Symbian's kind of had the uh, the market sewn up, at least with Nokia mobiles for a while. Yeah. I guess they don't mention really what's happening with uh, Windows Mobile. Well, Windows Mobile, Windows still. I think they were. I heard something that they were down on shipments again. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that last last week. I think. Um, Is that because uh, iPhone it, shipments have gone up? People could say that. I don't know. I mean, iPhones got you know clearly some market share. It's coming up for a second launch in another thirty two countries or something mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks' time on I think twenty second of August. So that's. Um, Certainly introducing another dynamic in there. I mean, clearly that's a very much a closed operating system in the same way that I yeah. guess Windows Mobile is. So, um, I also heard a rumor that uh, Apple are looking to introduce a nano version of the iPhone. Yeah, I think that's Christmas. kind of a wish list, really, isn't it? Everyone, Do you reckon? Yeah, everyone would like that, I think. But <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm sure you could. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in a 2G environment, because obviously there's still a massive 2G market out there. Hmm. Um, and if you had a kind of 2G iPhone and you were just able to make calls and run little apps, and that'd be great. Well, yeah, I mean, but then you lose the music bits. I mean, who knows? Well, it's difficult to second guess Apple really on these kinds of things. That's so, true. That's um, true. And I, I know I've, I'm, I'm kind of hedging my bets here. I'm, I'm looking forward to upgrading to a 3G, but I've, I've bought this um, one of these SIM adapter cards. Mm-hmm. I haven't got it yet which allegedly you can use to stick into a virgin iPhone 3G with right. your existing SIM card and pop it in the phone. So, cool. But I was going to ask you, you've got a 3G phone. and a, mm, I've got a Skype phone and a uh, 3. But are the SIM cards different? Maybe one of our listeners can let us know. If I, the can SIM I cards it? are slightly different, but the SIM cards these days do work in 2G and 3G phones simultaneously. Oh, okay. Well, in, interchangeably, rather. Well, that's cool. Uh, so, yeah, I actually asked one of, our, one of my colleagues... Mm-hmm about this uh, a little while ago because uh, what the hell did I end up? I ended, somehow I ended up with an O2 SIM right. for some reason. And uh, the SIM had a, written on it 3G. I was going, hang on, this is a 2G phone, but it's a 3G SIM. What's the story yeah. here? And uh, it turns out that uh, most SIMs these days can work in both quite happily. So okay. it's just that if it's not in a 3G phone, it doesn't do anything 3G-ish. Well, I guess I mean it's the phone that does all the smarts. I mean, the SIM's just mm. providing a little bit of space for mobile phone uh, numbers and some unique identity, isn't it? So, absolutely, not much else. So, well, that's that's good news because I can hopefully whack my two uh, G SIM into a three G iPhone. Cha-ching. Cool. Um, but we'll, well, where you go? We'll wait and see if the device actually arrives. It was only about um, twenty three dollars or something. It wasn't that expensive? So that's not too bad. Um, what's in it? it? Must be some sort of little. There's a little chippy thing, and you do have to mm-hmm. chop the corner off your. SIM card, and then Ooh. sort of tape them together, and then just stick it in the same hole in the phone. So I mean, <laughs> it sounds a bit dodgy, <laughs> but uh, bit dodgy I saw the video dodgy. on YouTube, so it must be true. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is. It must be, must be fun. Mm. Um, you, you had a little story here before we dived into the iPhone discussion, which seems to happen with alarming regularity, mm-hmm. on some guy who flogs chips for a company called Telligent. What's he suggesting? Yeah, and uh, Mr. Yun, who's the CEO, uh-huh. uh, has suggested that mobile operators need to back mob- free mobile TV. Right. And uh, it says his comments follow the failure of Germany's mobile threes subscription mobile TV service. And he says, despite the lack of consumer traction for subscription mobile TV services, there's no question that mobile TV technology works or that consumers like to watch TV on their handset, he said. They just don't uh, like to pay for it. They just don't like to pay for it. And, uh, I mean, you can understand his motivation. He wants to sell chips. hardware mm. chips. And uh, if you're 
<laughs> subscribing. If your subscription model doesn't work, then the only way to get chips in these things is to give it away for free. Yeah. But, Which uh, is, a, I mean, it's a great business model to be in. If you're if you're selling something and making a healthy profits on something that someone is giving away for free, mm-hmm. that's a fantastic situation to be in. Yep, great that, situation. Uh, free tends to drive the odd consumer. Um, Absolutely. Fuels them and gets them moving. Um, so his theory is that you should offer a free-to-air service effectively and allow for premium upsell into uh, okay. more expensive content. Mm-hmm. Have you? And I guess his motivation is, I want to sell more chips. So yeah, and whatever. well, basically, with the failure of, I don't know if he's a one-chip pony, so to speak. Um, <laughs> but if he's got no other chips, then he's a bit <laughs> stuck if no one's actually using mobile TV. So mm. not the best. Um, gaming. Have you done any gaming at all recently? Have you finished Mario Galaxy? No, I've got about um, two stars to get, I think, and then I can get to the center of the universe. So I'll be excited to try some other game after that one. <laughs> it's kind of that point now where you just have to finish it. So Yeah, I haven't done much, actually. I'm having a bit of downtime right now because I'm upgrading my um, my cinema, getting a bigger screen. So I'm going Ooh, for a cool. 2.4 meter wide screen now. I don't know how wow. big that is, but it's it's very big. When the, the new screen arrived, I was like, ooh, how is that going to fit in my house? <laughs> uh, it's actually the, the entire width of my cinema room, which I think is probably the way forward. Wow. Um, that's so that's great. my program this weekend is to put that up. But I've had to send my uh, my projector back because I don't know if I said before, it stopped working with my PS3. Mm. And I think it you, was. You're saying it's the projector now and not your. Well, PS3 I've tried another all. PS3 and it still doesn't connect to the projector. Right. Um, and yet. And with all the same cables, you know how you, you generally you just try to eliminate things one at a time. Mm. Basically, mm. my PS3 connects to my TV, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, other devices like my BT Vision box and my HDMI DVD player also connect to the projector by HDMI, no problems. It's just the PS3. Mm-hmm. So, And it's not just Which my is- PS3 because I've borrowed someone else's and that didn't work either. Right. So therefore, you know, I guess it's the projector. Um, That's pretty frustrating because, I mean, one of the whole, the, the whole thing about having a... PS3 and HD is to be able to do it over a digital link. Indeed. And, have a and nice it did originally work, so something's changed. Oh, right. So I don't know, um, and I have found that you can get new firmware for the projector, but it's not user installable. Oh, okay. But uh, allegedly they've come and picked it up today. I haven't checked actually, but uh, no, they do actually come and pick it up um, from you. And I guess, well, they're paying for that because I'm not. Um, well, that's good. So hopefully they'll, they'll bring it back, new firmware or something, and it'll actually work. Um, Great. But I had noticed they have removed any references to HDMI 1.3 compatibility. So mm. we'll see what happens. As long as I don't, they don't, they might end up ransoming it to me. Saying, okay, we've got it, but you'll have to... <laughs> and we fixed it, fix but it. that'll be 700 pounds. Exactly. And I go, oh, I can buy a new one for 300 and I'm, I'll buy something else. So that's a bit dodgy. So, um, and I've also, we talked last week about my bricked PSP. Um, mm. I've given up and I'm sticking it on eBay. So, uh, ah. which seems to be a home for people who can't spell. Uh, <laughs> as far as I can see, I'm mean, not. I'm not a perfect spelling bee, I must say. But uh, the communications I get with these people, who I guess are homebrew experts, are very much text SMS styly, <laughs> right, which is quite, okay. quite amusing. Trying to work out what they're actually saying, because <laughs> yeah, um, those extra letters just don't add any value, do they? Exactly. So I'm in two minds right now. I'm because someone's already put a bid on, so I'm definitely selling it. But what do I do right. with the games? Do I just sell the games, or do I get a slim and light? Um, mm. And I'm in two minds because from the gadget guy inside me says, yeah, I need a PSP Slim and Light <laughs> when I can do some location-free stuff on my PS3. Yeah. yeah. But the flip side is I'd never actually play any games on it. Yes. Um, well, that's what I found. So, And my iPod is, uh, my iPhone is a good, you know, that's where I watch my media. It, yeah, it pretty much does everything for me. And the games now, are so. pretty cool on it too, actually, to be honest. So that's what I should probably do. I should mm. 
sell all my games on uh, on eBay. Well, I sell. I found selling the PSP games on eBay went pretty well. Actually, people were pretty interested in that. Okay, but it's a bit of a. Did you list them all individually? Yes. Oh, weekends are fun for me. Now you've got yes. a new toy as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I've got a, a new EPC. Mm. And you already had an EPC before. I did. I had the 701, which is a 7-inch uh, screen. Uh-huh. And this is a 9-inch screen. This is the uh, the 901. So it's the 9-inch screen with the uh, the new Intel Atom chip. Right. And it's quite snappy. And the screen is beautifully big enough to actually read what's going is on. Is it a touch screen? Uh, no, no, no. Just, just a normal. So it's screen. like a sub notebook, effectively. Mm. Now, yeah, it's like a, it's like a mini, and like they're calling them netbooks now. Right. And there's quite a bit of competition in this area, but the the Asus mm-hmm. uh, EPC was kind of the one that kicked it all off in the first place. And is it is it lighter or heavier or? It's slightly heavier, mm-hmm. but uh, it does have. Um, I mean, the Atom's a very efficient chip, so it should the battery life should be actually be longer. Right. With a bigger screen. With uh, 802.11n and Bluetooth and everything, it's great. Brilliant. So you'll be it's giving great, away the other one to listeners. Exactly. So <laughs> if you want to... <laughs> no, we're putting it on eBay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great little device. And does that like, come with Linux or Windows or... Yeah, the one I got had uh, has a 20 gig SSD. Oh, right. Cool. And uh, so you can... I mean, to be fair, I never actually stored anything on the SSD of the old one that had 4 gigs, so... I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Does it, I mean, I've got a 32 gig SSD, but it's a PCI Express card. Right. Does yours have a PCMCIA slot or Express no, 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 slot or anything? Just, or? It's got a bunch of USB slots right. and, and an SD card slot. Mm-hmm. But built-in camera, much, I guess? Yep. Built-in built in camera for Skype and microphones and speakers and everything. It's Brilliant. So it's a neat little device. It's, very, it's about the same size as the, the original one. Uh-huh. But just bigger screen real estate. Bigger screen real estate and uh, slightly uh, slightly longer uh, front to back, so it's got a bigger mm-hmm. uh, touchpad on the front, which is same price or and uh, more expensive. Oh, but okay. you know, get what you pay for, I guess. Bigger screen, more expensive, more pixels. Indeed, indeed. So you're a happy camper in that one. Yeah, so I'm I'm actually delighted with. It. I mean, I really like the last one. Mm-hmm. I uh, took it with me on a trip through Spain uh, during the year because I didn't want to cart around a whole heavy. Uh, laptop, yeah. and it turned out that I actually had to submit a, a, a magazine article while I was on the road. While I was yeah. travelling, and I was able to sit in the bus and tap out an article and send it off. So, did did its purpose? It doesn't get well. too hot, and the battery's cool. So, no, yeah. it's all, it all runs pretty, pretty, pretty light, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So it's, but, and it's obviously not a gaming machine. So there's no ah, it's no no not a gaming no machine, beast, no beast, no, no beast for that sort of thing. But for, for editing documents and surfing the surfing the net, mm-hmm. it's perfectly. And fine, did it so. did it come with a Vista option or? You can get a Vista option. It only has a 12 gig SSD with the Vista. Sorry, with XP actually. Okay, all right. Uh, but um, I figured I'd go for Linux because the previous one I had ran Linux, and it was for what you want to do. Just mm-hmm. edit a few documents and get on the net. It's does the job. It's all you need, really. Mm. Most excellent. Well, if anyone else has got one or has got any top apps they think you should be running, mm. do let us know. Feedback at onthecouchpodcast.com. That'd be great. And uh, as, as always, we appreciate your comments and article suggestions. And uh, do point out if we're talking rush as well, which I know Absolutely. some of you do like to do. So, <laughs> so I think that uh, about wraps us up for this Indeed. week. Thank you for listening. And it's goodbye from me, James. And goodbye from Ian. Cheers. <laughs>